Ever since I was a child, people said my family was cursed. Mom tried to protect us with God. Pop tried to protect us with wrestling. He said if we were the toughest, the strongest, nothing had ever hurt us. I believed him. We all did. Morning. Pants tomorrow, please, David. Perry, I want you to join your brothers in the ring. Yes, sir. I love that. Now, we all know Carrie's my favorite, then Kev, then David, then Mike. But the rankings can always change. What do you want in life, Kevin Von Eric? More ribs. <laughs> I want to be with my family. You know, be with my brothers. What do you like to do with your brothers? Together, we can do anything. We're here to restore justice to the wrestling federation that our father built with his own two hands. The hands that were passed down to us. The hands that will deliver the iron clock to you. So what do you think? Like we're alive. I love your family, Kevin. Don't we, Uncle? Yes, sir. Oh, man, that makes me so happy. I talked to you about something, Mom. Dad's too tough on us. You gotta say something. Baby, that's what your brothers are for. Feel that? Ah. You feel that? Ah. That's pressure! I'm gonna push you too hard. I'm fine, Kev. Seriously, I'm just sick. I'm scared, man. It all out of control. What a terrible accident. I should've stopped him. I need to think about my family. Your job is to wrestle. Live up to that deal, or we are through. I just love being out there with you guys. It's the only thing that matters to me. The Bonner will forever be the greatest family in the history of wrestling. story of the inseparable Von Erich brothers who make history in the intensely competitive world of professional wrestling in the early 1980s. Through tragedy and triumph under the shadow of their domineering father and coach, the brothers seek larger-than-life immortality on the biggest stage in sports. Welcome to Legit Cool Podcast, the ultimate destination for movie enthusiasts and pop culture experts. We dive deep into the world of cinema and embark on an exciting journey through the latest blockbusters, hidden gems, and timeless classics. I'm joined by the one and only self-proclaimed steak expert, Tony Oak. <laughs> I... Yeah, I, I I claim that. I don't claim a lot. I claim that. Steak expert. I want that title. I'll give you that. You don't claim a lot of stuff, but if there is <laughs> one thing that you do claim just by vicariously through social media, it's uh, steaks. So it's always some sort of cow, right? But they actually look okay. so good, though. I think there's probably, probably only one 
It's probably, I think I mentioned it to you. It's like the one time where I saw you did a steak. I was like, oh, that looks overcooked. That looks a little bit too dry. And I think, you, I? I think you were kind of like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it, I think that one was a little, little bit over dry. I, I, I try to be um, honest with it. Like, I'll say, like, yeah, this wasn't that great. Like, I, I don't want to lie and be one of those people that only show the best parts of life when it you're comes on, to social media. Yeah, there you go. You're I an honest guy. It. You're an honest guy. But one thing I did want to mention, that trailer that we just sort of like had at the start of this thing, I have an issue with trailers that give away too much of the plot. Yeah, that trailer. I've never actually seen that trailer before because I think I told you I went into this movie blind. Oh, blind, blind. Just purely off my recommendation. Not even recommendation. It was a request. No, it wasn't a recommendation. I think you just reminded me that a movie called Iron Claw is coming out. And I'd seen Zac Efron's pictures, like posters and um character images and stuff like that you know stills of the film so it it, it didn't really pique my interest but i was kind of like oh zach Efron looks like a very different out of the box type of character that he would normally play so i was kind of interested but when you mentioned oh, that okay. when you yeah. mentioned that you wanted to see iron claw i was like you know what i'm actually might go see it because i didn't even know anything about it whatsoever until you right. told me that it was a sports movie and you love your sports movies or you like your, I love my sports movies. You love your sports movies. <clears throat> and so, yeah, you kind of, uh, gently encouraged me to go see it. Well, I don't even know if you did that, but I think you just reminded me that it could be a movie to go see. And I think it's a movie that we should probably talk about in the podcast. Well, that's the thing I said, can we do this for the podcast? And I feel like you are not the kind of person to say no to a request like that. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I say no to is, uh, we will not review Pornhub movies. and uh, <laughs> Even with the plots? True. If the plot's pretty good, we should probably think about it. But you know what's actually kind of funny? Um, I This is the thing I was going to tell you before we started recording. So I was there at the cinema, right? And I was like, hey, can I get um, tickets to a movie? And he's like, the guy's like, which one? And I said, Iron Core. And he's like, whoa, great choice. <laughs> Wait, where, like, did you go, where did you go see it? I went to Hoyt's in Broadway. Oh, wow. And and the, the guy at the ticket booth said that? Yeah, the ticket booth guy was like, great choice. And then he actually said, funnily enough, um, it's the only movie I'd recommend right now. And I probably shouldn't say that. That is surprising, man. That just reminds you of the old ages of going to the cinema where you had, you genuinely had movie enthusiasts, movie buff, film buffs that worked at the cinema. And I feel like nowadays it's just young people looking for some cash. I feel uh, like, yeah, I, I mean, he felt young, but at the same time, he, like, he, he knew what he was talking about, because, like, I, I didn't really question it a whole lot, but then I looked at the list, and, like, it didn't look great. Like, Beekeeper, I don't know what that is. Um, well, that's the new Jason Miller like, Strader movie. I probably should like that. I don't know. He He's, he's hit and miss for me. <laughs> is that a pun? Hit and miss? No, what do you mean? Oh, because he's an action star, or? Maybe that was a useless oh, yeah, example. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, like if, if if you like, you know, you got like like the old action. He's not really an old action star yet, right? Like he's still just considered a prime action star at this. No, point. I think he's an old action star. I mean, if, if we when if I say old, I mean, like the Liam Neeson, the Denzel Washington. Oh, the okay, Reed. no, he's not that old, I guess. But he is. Yeah. He's coming up to like. I think he's maybe he's in his uh you know MLS years. You know what I mean? If, if for those yeah, for, the, for the listener, the uh, football fanatics out there, I think he's in the. MLS league, so he was English Premier League, League One, or La Liga, or, or something at some stage. But now he's at MLS. Whereas um, well, you know Liam Neeson and uh, Denzel Washington, they're probably A League now. <laughs> <laughs> but their stuff is good. You know what I mean? Their like... stuff is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the caveat of their stuff is still good. 
they're doing like the messy style like you're in a crappy league in the middle of nowhere and you're still winning titles <laughs> like you're still getting ballon doors and shit yeah you're still cleaning up the streets just um, out of like old respect yeah that's right <laughs> Uh, so today we are reviewing and recapping Iron Claw, which technically came out in 2023, but for us sad Australians over here, or people that live in Australia, um, and New Zealand, this movie came out recently, as in a couple of weeks ago. I believe it came out on the 11th of January, 2024. So it's a fairly new movie for us. Um, it is a, you could say that this is a film debut if you define a film debut as a big film for this director and writer sean durkin never heard of him before never seen any of his other films um but he's uh three hit combo this is technically a legacy series then (laughs) (laughs) it's technically the start of a legacy series uh he's a three hit combo director writer and producer so kudos for him for for pulling off such a movie like this um this uh, this movie had a pretty mild budget considering most Hollywood films. Well, this is technically not a Hollywood film. This was a movie that's produced by A24 Films, which is kind I of... I love the... A24, by the way. Like, yeah. I only know of them because of Beef. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. And I love Beef, so I love this. Actually, no, they did uh, Everything Everywhere, didn't they? Uh, I think so, yeah. I know they've done a couple of Michelle Yao's movies. Um, but A24 is, for all interp- intents and purposes, is kind of the the step up to um, our house films or our house production and independent films. Like you have film festival films and then you have A24 and then you have Hollywood films. It's probably like the way that I would categorize it. Probably butchering that sentence for most people that are big film lovers, but I don't really care. Actually, no, I don't think they did everything everywhere because I'm looking at their website and they don't talk about it at all. And that implies to me, like, you know, it won Best Picture, so. Maybe they just didn't like it. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so this movie, uh, Iron Claw, stars Zac Efron, Jeremy Allen White, the great bear, is how, is how he's uh, getting nicknamed these days. Um, you would know that if uh, you've seen the bear. <laughs> I've seen Bear. I've seen um, season one and I've seen season one got, as well. I got a quarter of the way through season two and then Jermaine's um Disney account expired. <laughs> Shout out to Jermaine <laughs> with the expired expired Disney account. Hey, you can just use mine if you want. I have got a I can I can fit you in a, in amongst like all the other people that are on my account. I would love that. We're missing Disney. I want to finish Bear. I actually love Bear because you know I love food and I love drama, so yeah. it kind of works both ways. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jeremy, yeah, sorry, Jeremy Allen White, Harris Dickinson, Maura Tierney, Holt McCallany, Kalani, Kalani, uh, Grady Wilson, Valentine Newcomer, and there's plenty of other cast members in there that I've mentioned as well. I mean, Grady Wilson and Valentine Newcomer are young Kevin and young David. You see them for like five, five minutes, right? So yeah. I don't know how they made the podcast, but congratulations on them for making it to the yeah. logical I'm podcast. I'm surprised that Lily James is on this list. Okay. Lily James is counted as, and many more. Actually, Lily James, she's, like, she's one of the main characters. <laughs> she's one of the main characters, right? Like, yeah, she's the wife, surprising. or the girlfriend they're soon to become wife. Spoilers, by the way, spoilers, spoilers. Ah, uh, well, you're in a recap. You're in a recap. You're in a review and recap. So, um, this movie has a runtime of 2 hours and 12 minutes, with a budget of $15.9 million dollars. Currently sitting at a box office intake of thirty one point eight million. I don't think it's doing too bad, considering it came out 
Um, it came out, uh, li- sorry, yeah, 11th of Jan for right? us, but 22nd of December for New- North America. To be fair, I was a bit disappointed when I saw this number on your your, your stats here, but I realised, you know, it's it's a depressing drama about professional wrestling. Like, it's a pretty niche audience. It's a niche audience. I don't expect <laughs> it to do crazy numbers. I think these numbers are okay for it, for now at least. It would be nice to see this movie do at least, say, 50 million before it's, uh, yeah. by the time it gets to the end of its run. Um, but I'm not too surprised by these numbers. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. As long as they get some award season love, I'll be pretty happy. Well, it's missed out on the Oscar season. Yeah, so that means next year, right? Yeah, but the the danger about having films that miss that just miss out on the Oscar season usually gets yeah. forgotten by the time it gets to Oscar season in the following year. Mm, that so, sucks. Yeah, it's, it's in sort of dangerous territory at the moment for recognition. Um, with a Rotten Tomatoes score of 88% by critics and 94% by audience members. Tony Ook, how do you feel about these ratings? Before we get into your first impressions. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair. Like, I don't, you know, I've always got issues with Rotten Tomatoes. I feel like um, it doesn't surprise me that it's quite high. I think it's a really good film. I really liked it a lot. Um, what, what does it mean when the audience likes it more than the critics do? That seems odd to me, right? Especially for like a um, kind of art house. It means that normal people like it more than uh, not so normal people. It's odd. Like for for a, for a Marvel film, I expect that, but for like a, a pretty depressing character driven drama, I, I'm quite surprised to hear that. I thought it would be like resonating more with the critics, if anything. Yeah, I I get what you're saying. I think well, I, I'm not too surprised by it because this this movie. It's it's warm. I think it's warm overall. The tone is, it's melodramatic. It's, mm. it's it's very depressing. The situation that the family is in is very depressing. But I think it's a it's a warm hearted film because it's it's about something very central and valuable to most people that resonate with these types of values and families. Right. You know what I mean. So I I don't think it's too surprising in that respect. And the people that are recommending it are probably the types of people that resonate with those family values right so in hindsight actually as, as you're talking i kind of realized like yeah because i feel like as a dramatic sort of sad film it's quite light touch in how it handles all those kind of things and i feel like maybe the critics wanted more from that and i can see sure. them disliking a little bit yeah. more because it's like it deals with tough topics but it doesn't really show the depth of those um really dark topics in my opinion at least that's right that's right um but before we get into some impressions um I just wanted to, for those for those of you, I actually haven't done this in a while in most of the episodes, <laughs> but for those of you, if you're brand new into the podcast, thank you and welcome to the coolest. Is it the coolest? I don't know. I think we're just the only ones that say that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll say it. We'll say it. Let's, let's own it. Even just as much as like how your self-proclaimed uh, good steak cooker. Um, yeah. We are the coolest movie podcast on the planet. Um, welcome to the podcast and we review and recap and a review and recap is basically us nerding and sweating out on the details and the intricacies of films. And as I said before, the, in the intro, we dive deep into the exciting journey of latest blockbusters, hidden gems and timeless classics. Do you think a movie like this is going to go down as a timeless classic or a hidden gem or a blockbuster, or is there a category that isn't mentioned in the intro 
that this movie doesn't fit under. I reckon like Hidden Gem, maybe like because like if, if, I have a lot of comparisons to from this to a film like The Wrestler. You know, uh, yeah, was that Mickey Rourke? Mickey Rourke. Uh, the Wrestler was directed by what's his name? What's his name? I forget his name. <laughs> big though, right? Who? Someone big, I think. Yeah, the director. big director. I know Darren Aronofsky. Aaron Ar- Darren Aronofsky, yeah, yeah, that guy. He's a bit of a weird director as well, but so that was a ninety-eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I feel like this is very similar to that, just like sort of a depressing real-life story. I think people will grow to appreciate its performances over time. Yeah, and I would probably agree with the hidden gems sentiment. And from memory, I think I enjoy this movie more than. The Wrestler, from memory. I haven't seen The Wrestler really? since it came out. So maybe it's not a well-qualified statement, <laughs> if I'm to be I feel like honest. I f- it's, maybe it's like, like, like uh, it's hard to say. I feel like The Wrestler is a more powerful film, like, but it's got a protagonist. So this one has the benefit where the protagonist is someone that you genuinely like, and they more or less do good decisions, and they're affected by... Um, the circumstances around them. Whereas I feel like in The Wrestler, the protagonist is actually someone who is constantly ruining their own lives, um, mm. which is difficult to watch and difficult to enjoy. But I feel like, again, it's kind of like a more powerful thing to view. It feels more like an art house film. <laughs> it sounds like you've got a vivid memory of The Wrestler, though. I'm looking back at it now, just as I'm as we're talking. I've got it on, like, on my screen here. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I do remember the plot somewhat well. Okay, yeah. I actually don't even remember anything of it, to be honest with you. So I, should, I, should, I should probably take back what I said before. Um, and, you know, that when did that movie come out? Was it mid-2000s? The rest I of think it? so, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, that was a long time ago. That was uh, coming. I wasn't even ripe in my sort of uh, movie-going experiences as far as how I analyze films. You know, I wasn't even near that sort of mature level of um, uh, being any – being close to critical for for films, I just, I just have always had, enjoyed them. Yeah, I just have always enjoyed films. You know, I've got friends like that, and like I find it weird, man. Like you go to watch a movie. This is okay. This is shout out to anyone who does this. I I don't get you, but like you go to a movie and we'll watch it, and then we'll walk out of it, and they'll be like, I'll, I'll ask like, how? What do you think? And like, yeah, it was good. And I'm like, oh, what was your favorite bit? And it's like, oh, you know, it's just it was all pretty good. Yeah, pretty much ninety nine percent of the people that go see films. <laughs> It's so weird, right? Like, I find that strange. It's weird. I used to find it weird. But I used to find it weird in the in the sense of, um, why don't you want to talk about it? You know, why don't yeah. you want to talk about it the same way that I want to talk about it? Because if we're both agreeing that this movie was so cool, why don't we talk about it? <laughs> exactly. like, just, like, I always thought, like, you know, the idea that, like, um, a movie was a good, like, first date option was purely based on the fact that you can talk about it afterwards. You have a topic ready to go. Sure. But there are people out there that just can't. They're just like, yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. Like, it's not yeah. like, oh, this part or this performance or this plot line or this scene. Sure. It's just like... But, you know, people yeah. just don't see those things. People don't see films the same way that we see films. We, we, we see tons and tons of movies. And when you see tons and tons of movies, it becomes so much easier for us to talk about how a movie is is good or how a movie is not so good and where where could it have improved because because you've got you've got tons of ammunition you know both good bad and medium 
or average, okay. I should say, you know. So so we, we, we tend to have a better um, eye for it. Whereas most people that go see films, they're not looking for those things, you know. Um, even if it's sub- subliminal, we subliminally look for these things because we enjoy certain aspects of films that people just don't see. You know? And just to be clear, I, I, don't, I don't feel comfortable saying like most people are like the other people because I think people are going to get offended by that. Uh, some people that I know are like that. <laughs> you know who you <laughs> are listening to this podcast. You know who you are. Yeah, yeah. But I, I want to say that like I'm better than most people because that feels, that feels a bit... They're probably listening to uh, this going, wow, Tony, you're throwing me under the bus. Like little... Well, no, like, it, the individual people that I, that I think this about, like sure, I'd like, I don't mind them being offended, but mm. I don't want people to think that we think we're better than... The vast so majority I've had all, uh, I've I've come across like <laughs> awkward moments in the past, you know, when you go to talk about a certain film that you both vibe on, you both like really love, and you start talking about characters, you start nerding out, and then you yeah. notice that they're after their initial response to you nerding out, you just figured quickly, or maybe it's like too late by then, like, oh, he's not on the same kind of analytical like, mind you know, frame you know, right you know, now. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because the response might be like yeah, yeah, that yeah, that was cool. And then like that laser was <laughs> big, man. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, cool. And you're kind of like, all right, I shouldn't continue because I guess it's hit a wall for this person. But yeah, anyway, anyway, I want right, to yes, start with you. We because, digress. Yeah, we digress. I want to start with you because you saw this first and you saw this, what was it, over the weekend, right? Really? You want to start? Because I, I figured... Um, I cared about this more, so I thought you should you should go first. Oh, you want me to go first? I can go first. I don't mind. Because I, I went first for Princess Bride, right? Okay, okay. That's fair. All right, let me go first. Okay, so my first impressions of this, this movie's shit. <laughs> <laughs> don't see it. Don't believe the guy at Hoyt's or Event Cinema in George Street. <laughs> and that place sucks anyway. That place sucks anyway. Yeah, that actually, that, I, I really don't like that cinema because they have, they've sort of upgraded maybe one or two cinemas and I think yeah. the rest of them, they've just left dilapidated the woods. So really, really, really bad. Well, yeah, really yeah. uncomfortable. So like some of the ones that they haven't upgraded, they've just got torn pillows all over it and shit. And there's like, like, I don't know, 10-year-old, Ice cream stains and stuff. It's just, it's gross sitting in there. Yeah. Um, anyway, okay, so back to my first impressions. Um, my first impressions is that I like, I like this movie. I like it a lot. I enjoyed the heartfelt moments, and there's a lot of heart- heartfelt moments in this. I, I particularly enjoy the characters. Um, mm. But, well, there's a big but, and I want to go into this when we get into the recap as well, um, is... I enjoy the characters because I enjoy the charisma and the chemistry that they share, that the brothers share. I really yep. believe that chemistry. I really believe the uh, the family dynamic. Like I feel like Holt Mc, uh, what's his name? Holt uh, Holt McClanny. Fritz. <laughs> Fritz, the father, the father, um, the father, sort of Hitler figure father. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, not more or less, yeah, right. Well, I mean, he's not that Hitler. He's not that evil. I mean, he's he's kind of a. A heart. His character. Yeah. Anyway, actually. I'll, anyway, I'll like he, he's, he's a harsh father. You know, not your sort of typical um, father, but very much a, a father of that kind of time period. Maybe a little bit later for that time period. I think a lot of those fathers were kind of like that during the boom, baby boomer era. You know, sort of nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies, and less in the nineteen eighties. Anyway, um, I I believe him as a father. I believe more. Uh, more. Mora. Is it Mora? Maura. 
I don't know. More, I, I can so never know how to pronounce your name. What are these balloons in the background? <laughs> I don't know how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? I've never seen that before. That was, <laughs> anyway, but, uh, anyway, that was random. <laughs> um, more, Mora, uh, more Tierney. She's a great actor, and I love her skill and her kind of her tenacity to take take on roles such as like you know these are very much sort of almost method acting roles um i really believe her as a mother and i i love like the family <laughs> what what as a bad mother well yeah she's trying to portray not, here right not not a perfect mother i mean i don't think this family's perfect by any means of the imagination but if there's any perfection to be um criticized well if there's any perfection to be seen in the family it's the fact that they they genuinely love each other and i really felt that in this movie that's true um i do love the cinematography i don't know who the cinematographer is but i really liked the sort of muted saturated tones you know there's some colors in there but it's it's a little bit muted it's not oversaturated not bright colors and i think it's the right tone the right type of photography that you needed for this type of film usually these types of films that they can be pretty cold in its uh color grading and its tone but this wasn't it, it was kind of um encouraging that kind that cold feel that cold environment because of the state of affairs within the family um but it didn't quite go to that which is which is something that i really appreciated artistically that's what i really appreciated like, we're in texas right so you wanted to like sort of make it muted so it's still a bit sad but then yeah also yeah feel exactly exactly and I, and I think if it was straight up cold then you'd probably be trying to depict an area that's more north rather than south you know something that's like more detroit or something or something a bit more depressing <laughs> yeah that's what you're saying. but I, I like how there's that sort of juxtaposition of being in somewhere in, in, a, in a state that's always hot sunny um big smiles and sort of that nice happy feeling but it's juxtaposed with the the issue that the family was going through right mm. um so i thought that was really really cool and i appreciated that um as far as the storytelling goes i enjoy the storytelling but i think i and i, I don't know the case for this but this is just from you know what i observe in the film is that I, I, f I feel that there is a lot of missing points to the story that I would yeah. that I really would have wanted, and you probably know more about this because you it sounds like you know the story very well. But but even as someone that doesn't know the story very well, there were so many moments in the movie where it just switched and went to a next part of their time of of wrestlers slash retired or injured wrestlers or something, and I'm kind of thinking. Wait, wait, well, there's such a gap there. I want to know what happened between these years because I think these years were crucial, especially with uh, Kevin having to go through all of that, going through all the family trauma, going through a, a young relationship, and then eventually getting married, having a baby. There were so many things that were just missed out there that I really would have wanted to see. And, yeah. um, and, and I sort of figured that the convoluted impression that I get from this movie comes from me having so many questions about, uh, like so many questions left after the movie finished. I was like, but I want to know this, and I want to know this, and I want to know, <laughs> you know, I want to know what happened to like uh, the kids at this point, and how did the how did the character, our main protagonist, who's a great actor by the way, awesome performance. Yeah. Um, 
I want to know how he went from from this point, you know, developing that um, that inner conflict and that inner battle that he was experiencing with his losing his brothers and and trying to get back into the career. You know, um, there was just so many of those things missing, and I would have really loved to see that. Um, and given the runtime, you know, the interesting thing is that the runtime, the movie feels long. And I think it's a similar situation to another film. Oh, the previous um, movie that we reviewed and recapped, I did this with uh, Rick, who's guesting on the podcast, the second time on the podcast we did Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I think Rise right, of the yeah. Planet of the Apes, it, it suffers the same thing, where they cram so many plot, plots and subplots in a story, but they don't evolve them or they don't develop or they don't take time to, to develop them. Um, and I feel like Iron Claw suffers a little bit of the same thing, not to the extent no, of, I agree of the Planet of the Apes, but it's it's introducing a lot of stuff and it's going through a substantial amount of time to a point where I kind of lose track of where we are in the timeline. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm sort of disorientated from from where we are at his point of career, like how old is he? And you you can kind of get visual cues from how old the kids are, but then even then there's, a lot of questions. Well, there's a massive jump with the kids, right? Where, like, they're a baby, he comes back home, and then yeah. they're, like, eight, and there's two of them. There's two of them. Right? Like, I'm like, wait, where did the second one come from? <laughs> yeah, and he looks the same. And he looks the like, same, yeah. And the only thing is, the dad says, oh, you're 40 now. And yeah. it's like, oh, okay, I guess he's 40 now, because he looks the same. Yeah, that's that's right, that's right. And so th- there's there's times where, where the movie, or I should say Sean Durkin, allows for certain subtle sometimes ambiguous visual cues to denote a certain time in the period or sometimes obvious points like using um, exposition dialogue to be able to indicate that um and then I'll, i'll say one more issue that i have with the film is that as much as i love the characters there are this i feel like these characters have so much depth to those characters that I would have loved to explore more of that because yeah. I can believe that these guys are type brothers just purely because I think their skill as acting was just great. <laughs> so uh, it's believable for them to have that chemistry as brothers, but show me, show me like how these brothers are so tight because we don't really see that. We just, we just have to accept that we're on board with them being very, very tight, but there's no intricacies between and, and complexities that each of the characters have the inner conflict because the biggest the biggest driver for the plot was the fact that Kevin has to deal with his their brothers going through this family curse that is mm. never really explored. It's kind of this weird omen ghost thing that you don't know. It's kind of like a faceless villain that comes and goes and you don't know why and that they never explore at all and maybe this has got to do with um the real life story and maybe there's more theories around that kind of stuff but it's hard when you when you do a film there has to be a central focus to that and i feel like the central focus that sean is trying to do is trying to say this this focus is purely on zach his character and how he reacts to the family going through this curse but the thing is let's say the curse is the real antagonist to the film it's the real villain right sure there's it's a very ambiguous and there's no ne- there's never really a point where 
you have an opportunity to sh- to get reactions from audience members or fans because these guys are super famous and that's the other yeah. thing is like we don't really see the extent of how famous they are because it's it's quite isolated to texas and they always talk it's like one scene it's like right? one scene like and they always talk about yeah. how there's world championships and i never i mean i, I did we get do, i think we do get it to a point where he does where he fights for the world championship bout, but it doesn't feel like he's fighting in the world championship bout. Um, yeah. It's like the audience is not very involved. The fans are not very involved. And so my issue with that is that when, if you have such a tragedy, like let's say it's just cancer and everybody identifies as cancer. If you have such a tragedy, then we need to see our protagonists and our, and our superstars. These guys are effectively wrestling superstars, right? We need to see them on a super high. And that high has to be, it has to be congruent or in alignment with how the world reacts to that and, you know, fan testimonies. So we never see them so high that any downfalls that the family goes through doesn't mm. feel like it's as as bad as it should be and the reason and, and this kind of clicked to me when the movie finished because i never felt the emotions that they're trying to portray here i really wanted to feel what kevin like zach here was going through i really wanted to feel what the mother was going through i really wanted to feel what the brothers were going through but it just like the emotion just never hit me i, I was just kind of going okay i mean it's sad it's a sad story yeah but I'm not feeling the emotion, and I think it's because we're missing those those key centric points of inner conflict that the characters are going through, right? Um, and how they're sort of represented on screen. So, other than that, I think I still think it's an enjoyable movie. It's not a movie that you could watch all the time because it's kind of a depressing topic. <laughs> you can't watch it twice, I don't think. Like, it's, it's a one time, all right? Yeah, it's kind of like a one time. I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing it again. If someone, if, if, if a friend of mine said, hey, I really want to go see Iron Claw, would you want to go? I'll be like, yeah, I'll go along. I'll go along. It's it's still yeah. got that kind of rewatchability because there is some heart to it. And I think that heart is really resembled or reflected in Zac Efron's performance because his performance yeah. is great. It's it's really really cool, and he's really committed to the role. And um, but um, yeah, that's my first impressions. Yeah, cool. I mean, you went into a lot of depth there. I think <laughs> um, a lot of similar thoughts to you actually. So I'll start with highlights. I'll move on to lowlights. Then I think like I really wanted to love this film a lot, and in I do. I would say that I actually do love it a lot. Um, because I am you know a fan of the industry, and I knew this story. And it's kind of funny, like when you talk, I kind of realize that I took for granted a lot of my knowledge of just sort of how wrestling works, right? Like the fact that they are so they just to sort of clear this up, I guess, like they would be celebrities in Texas, but that wouldn't be that big a deal. And so back in those days, there wasn't like one giant company where you got really rich. You had like 50 different companies for like little tiny towns and each company kind of sucked. Right. So that was before the rise or of the empire that we understood as WWF, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that was before then. So they all had like little tiny pieces and they all ran like local shows. And then you'd have like the NWA, which was like on top of all that. And the champion would move around to all the different areas. And that guy would probably be rich and finding him was a big deal, but you'd be doing it at those tiny, um, stadiums which is the one that they're at that's why it looked like shit when he was like fighting for the world title (laughs) yeah but yeah i guess like so for me highlights yeah i think much the same as you like i think the performances are really great like zach efron did a really good job i felt like honestly they all did 
I, I couldn't think of anyone doing a particularly like much better job than anyone else. Um, the brothership, brotherhood, <laughs> yeah, the family. It's not only brotherhood, but yeah, let's go with brothership. Maybe yeah. that's what they say. Well, um, I don't know in uh, Zealand or wherever you are. Yeah, <laughs> like I just enjoyed the performance. I enjoyed the story. I knew the story really well, so that kind of helped me because I knew it was going to happen. Um, and I thought like it was just sort of directed well. Cinematography was was quite good. I don't really care about that stuff, but I do note that like one thing I did enjoy was the fact that yeah, it's kind of like a warm sort of film to the point where it made it really obvious that like the place they're in is fine. What they're doing is fine. It's just like their internal circumstances that affect their lives, right? Um, one thing I didn't really like, and I guess I'm not sure about this if this is true or not, like. I don't know if the Von Erich curse existed to them at the point in which Kevin talks about it. So, like, then this could be my misunderstanding of history. I probably need to look into this a little bit. But, like, at the time when he talks about it the first time, they've lost one child to a random drowning, right? Yeah. Jack Jr. Okay, so I'm not the only one that's confused by that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the Von Erich curse exists because they all, I mean, spoiler alert, like, they all kind of die, right? Before that, there's no curse. The they, curse they is the result about, of this film. They talk about how the family has been cursed for a long time. I thought they were just exactly. referring to grandfathers or something. Is you know, I don't think so. You don't I'm have any this, of that. I feel like the curse exists because of the film, like because of the the, the events in the film. Not right. like, oh yeah, we're cursed. We lost one child. Do, once. do you reckon maybe it's like, like some scripting issues there? Yeah, because like, like make a mistake, there's this part it? in the film where he talks about it to the, the girlfriend and she's like, I don't care. And then there's a part later on where he's like, I don't want to give it to you. I don't want to be near your house. Now, right, at yeah. that point, if he comes up with the curse at that point, that makes so much storyline sense, right? Because mm-hmm. he's lost three brothers at this point. Mm-hmm. That's huge. But the, the first time I mentioned it, I'm like, are you being dramatic that you say you've got a curse because you've lost one Because <laughs> you lost like one brother or something? One guy. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I just went along with it because I thought, I just assumed, and I knew that the film didn't specify this, but I just yeah. assumed that it was a long-time family curse. Like, you just kind of happened. accept it because he says it's a family curse. I'm like, all right, you just accept it. I could be wrong here. I want to look into this now. That's what made me want to look into that a little bit more, but I felt like the curse is what happens in this film. Uh, but in any case... One of the other things I had, like, the main reason, the main issue I had with this film was, yeah, like, the runtime is long enough, but I felt like all of the emotional beats didn't have enough weight to them, similar to what you thought, because they didn't have the right context. Um, Like, I don't really remember what they spent their time on, but you've got, like, David dying. You hear about it as just a conversation. You... um. When, when when Mikey dies, you just kind of, like, see the pills and then you see them wake up and be sad. Um, when the, the car accident, ha- or the, the, the bike accident happens, like, you just kind of... That's a fun little twist, but, like, you just don't really see the, the cause and effect of things. Like, it felt like they're just kind of, like, moving from set piece to set piece, almost like it's, like, a documentary, but without any um, of the information like this the fact that they missed all that stuff out made me think maybe this deserved to be a tv show yeah well i mean that's why that's why it seems a little odd uh i have that's why you know what i said before i have a bit of an issue with this like phantom that keeps killing them (laughs) Um, yeah yeah because i'm I'm not sure it just kind of happens right 
Yeah, like you don't. Yeah, you don't know when it's going to happen. You don't. You don't have any um, anticipation of it happening. It just happens at random, and yeah. Uh, sometimes that issue can can pull the story uh, down so much that you kind of wonder, wait, should the characters be like? Should have we, should, should should have we known? Should have we known? <laughs> um. I feel like we should have known more about the characters before they killed him off that yeah, way. Like, and I, I, it, I guess yeah. it, it would it would be okay if they had some like cancer because we understand how cancer works and operates. But these are just like phantom random deaths. But that's the thing. Like there are definitely like if you actually read into it, there's so many reasons why these things happen. Like it's a combination mainly of the father's lack of care and the father's push to be the best in combination with, like, just the wrestling business being a really sort of unforgiving business. But, like, when you're showing a movie about a bunch of people killing themselves, isn't knowing why and what circumstances drove them to it the most interesting part about that story? Yeah, not the and suicide itself. Yeah, like, I mean, the suicide itself I think they do need to show, and I think they shied away from that. Like, I don't want to see a guy get, like, his head blown yeah. off or whatever. But, like... I did feel like they shied away from a lot of the, the visceral elements of what this story needed. Yeah. But in addition to that, though, no, uh, the context behind why they did what they did was more really important. Like, I think Mikey, you got a really good sense of why he did it, and that was probably the most, like, uh, emotionally powerful death, mm. I thought. Like, David dies off screen. Like, it's just... Yeah, it does screen, yeah. I mean, there's a the lead up to it, and I think he probably had the, the most, even though I still think his character was underdeveloped and we didn't get a sense of that and a conflict and what he's really going through that's going to drive him to commit suicide. But he's... Oh, no, David doesn't commit suicide, sorry. David's the oh, first Oh, sorry, one. sorry, I'm talking about Mikey. I'm talking about Mikey. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. You know, we, we see the lead up and sort of that uh, walk to darkness so to speak yeah um i feel like that scene is like oh okay sorry i cut you off what are you gonna say no i was i was just gonna say that even that in and of itself we we, we saw the most um development quote-unquote development yeah for that but even then it wasn't enough you know um See, i felt like that was just enough in comparison to the other ones but in an ideal world, that would have more, and then everything else would have a lot more. Like, I would love to have seen David burning the candle at both ends, and struggling, and partying, and getting sick, and then dying. Like, yeah, or, or Kerry going through getting fired, and having it, and having him realize that like he'll never live up to what his father wanted. Sure. And then, like you know, you just don't get these things, no. and these things just kind of happen, yeah, and that's happen. the thing that kills me. That kind of abrupt, and I'm like, what? Uh, what? Wait, and, dying? <laughs> and, and you kind of hit on the head as well when you said, like, the curse is like this mystery antagonist, and it really should be the father, and it really should be the wrestling industry. Yeah. Like, that's a good the point. father... Yeah, yeah, like, I think that he really shied away from painting the father in a negative light. Like, he's hard and he's unemotional but he also seems loving hmm. and like maybe it's like it'd be you know trite to, to paint him in a bad way because i actually don't know what it was like in real life hmm. but by the end kevin blames the father like he blames the father for everything and that scene doesn't hit hard because of the two hours you've seen so far he hasn't been that bad yeah well that's what i was thinking that's what i was saying and and this was what i was thinking like thinking while i was watching the movie i was thinking okay we're about an hour and a half in this movie 
the content feels like it's supposed to be quite dangerous, but the movie's mm. playing safe ball right now. <laughs> yeah. I feel like all the characters are too safe, especially the father. The father's been painted as he's supposed to be this like super mean anarchist of a, of a father that's very, very hard on their kids. But it, he just felt too safe. You know? He's honestly quite supportive. Like he's he's very one track minded, but he feels yeah. pretty supportive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I love you, sons. And then he goes and sits down. Like you helped David get to where he is today. Keep going. Yeah. It's going to be great. And I'm just like, look, in, if he was like that, then he's not the antagonist, and you need a different one, right? Yeah. But you can't have no antagonist. You can't have these people's lives fall apart for no reason. Yeah. And that's kind of what it feels like. Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. They they just kind of die randomly. <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, those are my thoughts. All right, okay. Well, those are our first impressions and review of the film itself. Now we're going to get into our favorite part of the podcast, and that is the recap. Are you ready to get into this? Yeah, you're gonna. Ha- are you gonna play the sound or? Uh, the sound doesn't work, so. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll make up some random sounds. Whoosh, whoosh, I did a whoosh. 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 <clears throat> Okay, so the film opens during a wrestling match where Jack Atkinson, better known by his stage name Fritz Von Erich, played by Holt McClanny, uses his signature Iron Claw. Move in, uh, move on his opponent's face. He later meets with his wife Doris Mora and sons Kevin and David. Doris is displeased with displeased with Fritz using more money than they needed to spend on a flashy new car. Fritz promises to only provide the best for his family. Okay, this opening scene, right? Yeah. The way it opens up, the black and white, um, really strong close-ups with Holt's character. I thought this was such a cool opening. And I thought it was a cool opening. I actually thought this movie was going to be like this. Oh, okay. But like it like never was. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of action sequence though, so I'm not sure what you mean. Well, when you say like this, I think, this, I think the about? way it's framed, um, the way it's framed, it's supposed to. Or this is what I got from this opening scene. It's supposed to make these guys larger than life superstars, mm-hmm. right? There's this massive spotlight that's just artistically put in there through post, and um, you see like a, you see a very small portion of the audience. And I think it's supposed to convey this message that these guys can be superstars through this tiny medium, or maybe in our modern day sensibilities, thinks think that it's a tiny medium for that time. But really, mm. it was on the rise to become this really cool sport in America. And I, th- I think this scene was trying to portray these larger than life superstar characters that they are superstars. And so I thought it was going to get into that world and we're going to see a journey of these guys go from zero to a hundred. This is why you thought it was going to be a Creed film. That's why I thought it was going to be a Creed. Well, yeah, that and also because you told me it was like a, a wrestling movie. So I thought it was going to be, I was going to, I thought it was going to do that sort of same Creed. Like zero to hero. Yeah, zero to like hero. Rags to 
death. Yeah, but this was like just about like family death and uh, and trauma. So I thought it was such a cool opening scene, and and I, in some ways, I feel a little robbed because I feel like we got baited into something that never happened because we don't even revisit this type of scene at all in the film. We do at the end. I th- is it, I think it's at the end. Do we? Yeah, when um when Kevin uh, Zach Efron has his moment. Do we? Even, I can't remember. I I feel like I've, I we thought, have a fight with uh, Rick Flair and ruins and it, then he ruins it. it. Yeah, sorry, that is the last fight that he does, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, okay, so I, I guess we don't revisit it. So it's it's kind of odd that it would start that way, and I guess it's trying to it's trying to do its job of painting picture of the dad and where he was and. So that's one of the things I didn't like about this. I kind of, again, this is just for more context. Like there's a scene later in the film where he says, you know, um, they tried to keep, like I got really close a few times, but they always try and keep me down. They were screwing me over. They don't like our family, but our family's going to get this title. Like that, that he has a bit of a speech. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen some flashbacks similar to this of him actually getting screwed over. I was just about to say, you know what would have been good if they showed us. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> If we were going to lean into him being the antagonist, like this would be, I, I'm imagining this film differently now. Like he is a much more vicious, a much more one-track-minded guy in the movie. Like the script changes to match that, and then they show him actually like working hard, sacrificing, going through like financial ruin in order to try and get this title shot, and he just never gets it because people don't like him for some reason. Like that would one create an antagonist, and two. Um, also give him a reason for being the way that he is it humanizes right. him as well right and we, we don't actually see moments where um where people actually dislike him and and have reasons to dislike him we, we just have to accept that he's not a likable person <laughs> just because yeah, of like at church, they love him right like they're always shaking his hand and yeah walking in happily yeah so it's a little odd it's like the character has been written in almost a very schizophrenic way where mm. Sean is trying to say that he is a bad guy because of the way he says certain things to his kids or the way he treats his kids. But then at the same time, he's kind of loving and supporting and he seems to be really nice to everybody at the church. It's yeah. uh, I, it's quite odd, I, right? Yeah, because I blame the father only because of a lack of anyone else to blame. And I feel like there needs to be someone because it's a film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you need to have, if you're going to have a protagonist, you need to have an antagonist. Yeah. And so the film kind of wanders around whether or wonders who the antagonist or the bad person is going to be in this film. So yeah, because because I'm I'm like you. I thought the father was going to be the villain of this, and and the father was going to go through this cool arc where he eventually comes around, um, seeing his 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 kids um, triumph, you know, and victory and all that kind of stuff. You know, so, sort of like the Creed story, I guess, which is yeah. you know um, Rocky goes through. A massive arc where he doesn't you're want to go. Warrior, I think you're describing Warrior, where the father is the main central antagonist, but it's like the two brothers going on and becoming. Okay, like, yeah, um, I guess really similar to Warrior. Like I actually really like Warrior too, but it, it's very similar to Creed too. You remember, like Rocky goes for a point where he he doesn't want to coach. He doesn't want to coach. All right, yeah, he yeah, dislikes yeah. Uh, the fact that he wants to coach, and he dislikes the fact that um, the son wants to. Like he's pushing him to do it, but eventually he comes around to it, and he, and he sees the reward in that sacrifice, right? So, I, I, I guess I, I was sort of painting that picture, and I remember, like, there's been some great filmmakers that have already set the system for these types of films, right? And so it's bizarre to me that a guy like this, who's 
hasn't done many films, and this is his biggest film to date, that he wouldn't learn from that. And you know what? Mm. Look, it's it's art, right? People want to be artistic. They want to have their own interpretation. That's that's cool. But I think you should always learn from successful stories. <laughs> I think you should also <laughs> learn from successful directors that have done it very, very well in the past. And you can still have your own spin on it, right? You can still turn it into something great. It's just frustrating because the, the, the source material is there and it's very rich. That, that, that was disappointing for me. Yeah. Because it's there. He doesn't have to make it up. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But anyway, sorry. Anyway, yeah. uh, moving on to the next part of the plot. Years later, Kevin, a.k.a. Zac Efron, is following in his father's footsteps to enter the wrestling world. Fritz expresses favoritism towards his son, Kerry, since he is a prospective Olympian. David, who is the other... Oh, yeah. Harris, yeah, sorry, David, who is the other brother, played by Harris Dickinson, also wrestles while Fritz is trying to get youngest son Mikey Stanley Simmons into the sport. Despite his preference for music, Kevin tells Doris that Fritz is too hard on Mike, but she dismisses his claims. Um, the, the scene at the table where, yep. um, you know, they're having breakfast, you know, uh, is it David? I think it's David. He walks into the kitchen, he's like, put on. No, it's Kevin that walks in. David's already. Oh, no, no, you're right, you're right. David's got no pants. Yeah, David's got no pants. And then the mum says, David, pants. Um, yeah. They sit down and I like this scene because it's very endearing. Because you see, you see these these family moments are uh, powerful. I think that they're important for showing, demonstrating that chemistry between the family members. And I like the jokes. Like I actually found some of this movie quite funny. Um, you know, the dad he says, um, "We all know that my favorite son is <laughs> is David." He's joking. I mean, he's kind of serious, and that's that kind of. I don't think he's joking. That's the thing. I don't think he's joking. Well, is he? Yeah, he explains I don't it think he's joking. Like you can all move up and down. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it, it's sort of directed in a way that it's supposed to be a little bit of a uh, sort of joke, you know, like a lighthearted joke. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't take it that way. I kind of thought that this was like very character building for the father. Again, this is why I thought he was the antagonist because he's like a very focused person, very focused on masculinity, you know, being the best, being the strongest, being the fastest. And the idea that he would rank his children based on that, mm. uh, like, sort of played into that mindset I had for him. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think everything you're saying is true, but I think it was trying to make a lighthearted scene, so make something very serious a little bit, sort of lighthearted, a little bit comedic. Because I laughed, and there, everybody else in the cinema laughed. <laughs> It was really popular because mine, mine. I had no one in my cinema. Like it was like mm. two other people. No, it wasn't oh, packed. Was, like, it wasn't packed. I'd say it was probably maybe thirty percent packed. That's good. Is it cheap Tuesday? I guess. Yeah, it's a cheap Tuesday, and it's it's at the Ritz Cinema, and I feel like that's where all the hardcore film people like to go. <laughs> oh, okay, you didn't go to one of the uh, the, the, the 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 mainstreams. Yeah, not, not the mainstream cinemas. Um. Moving on, Kevin and... Wait, one thing I didn't like about this scene, sorry, yeah, I'll, I'll go back a little bit, is when Kevin talks to his mother about, like, oh, the dad is too hard on Mike, yeah. we've got to do something yeah. about it. I think this really set the tone for the film, because yeah. Kevin is the one with probably the most, which is weirdly enough, the most emotional sort of... What, EQ? What, what's the Q? Quotient? Yeah, EQ. Yeah. Yeah, like he is know. aware of like the brothers, and he actually cares for them and just wants them to be happy. He's yeah. not actually buying into the father's drive of like mm. you got to be the best. Well, he, he's, he's also, in a way, in in some sense, he's a, the surrogate father for his brothers. 
Yeah, yeah, I can see that too. Yeah, right. Like he he kind of does that. He wants to protect them, whereas the father wants them to be the best. And it's like they're kind of in conflict, but kind of not because he's doing it too. Right, he's still trying to impress his father mm-hmm. at this point in the film. Yeah. But the other thing is that like the mother, she just like dismisses it straight away. She's like, mm, "Well, you got to talk to your dad about that." Yeah. And it showcases the fact that like he's kind of emotionally stunted. Like when you see him talk to Pam in the future, mm. he doesn't even know how to talk to a woman. Right. It kind of I got the sense that. Like she just not was not really present for her kids. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's totally true. Um, uh, I was gonna say something, but I lost my train of thought. I was thinking about the father in this situation, but anyway, I lost my train of thought. I'll just move on. <laughs> yep. Kevin <laughs> and David enter a tag team match against Bruiser Brody, uh, played by Kazi Louis Caregno. I think so, that, yeah, okay. Whatever. It sounds like I just said like a pasta word or something. <laughs> um, yeah. And Gino Hernandez, played by Ryan Nemeth. At the Hi, Ryan Nemeth, by the way, real wrestler. Oh, cool. Very similar to Creed. Very similar to Creed, remember? In the first Creed, they oh, yeah, got a lot of pro uh, yeah. boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the Sportatorium. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Sportatorium. Both yeah, brothers put in the effort with David utilizing the Iron Claw on his opponent. After the match, Kevin is approached by a young woman named Pam, aka Lily James. Hey, is Lily James she Aussie? Or no, I'm not making that up. I don't know enough about Lily James. Wait, is Lily James the one from Scream? No. I can't I also don't know enough about Scream. (laughs) People listening to this podcast must be must be thinking, these guys aren't movie people. They just went on about how they're so much better than everyone. Uh, yeah, Pam, aka Lily James, who is interested in him and gets him to ask her out. They go out for a meal where Kevin tells Pam about the supposed curse in his family. He talks about the original oldest Von Eric brother, Jack Jr., who died when he was six. Pam gets closer to Kevin's side to comfort him. Okay, so I I like the character building here. I like okay. I like the um I like the conversation and the dialogue that they start building together on their first date. Um, it's it, it shows us that um, Kevin, let's say Kevin is the real representation of the family. It shows us that Kevin's not a very bright guy. <laughs> and yeah. I, I don't think intelligence um, runs clean in the family either. Uh, I think it's, no. it's all like, you know, uh, brawn over brains type of uh, family and and probably makes sense you know they, they've sort of raised like that by their father and i think the dialogue between pam and kevin really depicts that and when they sit down and have their first date um you see you see more of that uh i'm gonna keep coming to that word charming i'm gonna keep beating that word quite a bit but zach efron's approach to this character and this character alone i don't know if it's like if if that's what the real character was like in real life but um he's a very very charming and endearing and respectable guy you know Mm. he's a very safe (laughs) character and i think all these these two scenes and the dynasty in their first date particularly really depicts that but then my only critique for this type of scene and, and maybe this is like most dialogue sequences it's a little boring i'm, I'm not complaining too much <laughs> I, i'm not yeah. complaining too much about it not being boring but there is sort of an element of like 
Well, these dialogue scenes, they, uh, they're a bit boring. <laughs> I, I mean, the character, they're developing the character of a guy who's kind of boring, right? Like, yeah, kind of boring. But, you know, good writers kind of are... character trait, in a way, right? Like, he can't talk on, on the microphone. True. He can't really talk well with others. True, he can't talk well. But, you know, but, like, great writers in films are always able to make the most of anything, really, you know? Mm. Some of the best it's... films out there are, like, very little dialogue. <laughs> that's just that's just directing and writing. That's the thing, like, it's, it's a long scene to talk about, like, like a curse that doesn't really make sense yeah yeah so. the long thing like they, they kind of just talk and it doesn't really lead anywhere and it's like you're, you're left with more questions at the end of that scene than anything <laughs> and and that's why and, and and i think the the energy in these scenes they just feel a little flat and i'm not saying that their performances are flat i just think the delivery and the dialogue itself that they're given as characters are just a little flat yeah, it, it felt very like kind of by the numbers in a way, right? Like, like mm. she asks him some questions, um, and then like you know when she comes over and hugs him, it just kind of felt. Uh, uh, it's hard to explain. Like he he's hard to talk to, and that makes sense. That builds his character up. But then you're having these long, slow conversations, and then she just comes over and she hugs him, and then the scene ends. And I'm just like, what am I meant to take away from that? I don't <laughs> really know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's supposed to show us that she's someone that really likes him. And she's got a very, very big heart. She's got a, she's, she's very emotional. You know, she's, she's got that sort of nurturing, that mother nurturing aspect to her, which I think that was the whole point of it. So that we see her yeah. as we believe that she can be a very. We just see her as a great person all the, the entire time, right? Yeah, like, yeah. We, we, we don't see where... any bumps with her. She's like sort of a perfect character a very very She's safe and perfect person the entire like, it wouldn't shock me if the uh, executive producer of this was kevin bonary <laughs> and he's like don't say a damn don't bad thing about my wife yeah don't say <laughs> a bad word about my wife because she's still alive right yeah she's like the whole family's still yeah, alive. they're not that old i don't think they're like 60 or something yeah yeah years. that's right there's a whole picture of them at the end yeah um, yeah so, so so it's it's weird like the there's so many of these types of scenes though where they're just they're talking but I'm not sure what I'm supposed to get away from. Oh, really? I don't know if there's a lot of them. Like, for me, I think I felt like this was the only one, but I'm, I'm sure as we get through the recap, there'll be more that show up. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kevin and David later compete against Harley Race. Kevin Atten, or a.k.a. Kevin Anton. Anton. <laughs> Why did I say Atten? Anton. Yeah. Where Kevin receives a heavy thrashing and only wins because Harley is disqualified after throwing the riff out of the ring. Fritz shows disappointment toward Kevin, but pride toward David and his talents. Due to the 1980 Olympics boycott, Carey's chances of being an Olympian are taken away. Fritz tries to encourage him to compete in the ring alongside Kevin and David. Later, the brothers get ready to go out of uh, out for one of Mike's music gigs. They sneak out, by the way, with help from Pam on sneaking them out. Oh yeah, just <laughs> uh, so that their parents don't know where they are going okay hey so first do you know because you know the backstory of this what what was the whole boycott for i can't remember was that the was that the cold war era that's not the cold war era is it yeah i don't think that's pressing specific um i feel like that yeah it was i think that was like a rush that was the olympic russian game oh I mean, and so, russian games yeah it was hosted by the russians yeah so that was during the but Soviet funnily Union. enough kerry was already a wrestler before he didn't get to go to the olympics 
Oh, so why do you so think... For storyline reasons, they made it sound like he missed out his chance, and so he became a wrestler, and I actually prefer that as a storyline, oh. but in real life, he had already been, like, He'd already a been wrestler a wrestler a during that boycott. No, he'd been a wrestler before... Like, he was a wrestler and training for the Olympics, and then he had the boycott, and then he did wrestling full-time. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. okay, interesting. So then, See, then, this would be a much better story if wrestling was deemed to be why he killed himself, but the movie leaves it unclear. So it's like not as powerful a story, in my opinion. No, no, no. I mean, the the, the only thing that the movie is clear about is that they all die from this curse. <laughs> that's the only yeah, thing that they clear about. That's the thing. Like, if you're going to make a change to the plot, and actually, I like I applaud this change. I think it's like sort of thematically better. The idea that like he had his potential future ripped away from him by chance not his fault and then he went into this future and that caused him to kill himself yeah that makes sense it would be much yeah but it would be much cooler if like that choice is shown to be very important to whether he lives or dies because like that the fact that he gets into wrestling isn't really shown to be why he he dies no and i I think they they just tell us that that's the reason for it he just dies yeah yeah but anyway sorry um, and then the other thing that I wanted to talk about was, it, like, and, and this, this is going back to reiterating that point that I want to, that I made before, which is this movie is super safe. When they sneak out, they never get caught. And, and I thought the movie was going to go get to a point where, okay, the parents find out and then there's some consequences from the parents. But Oh, really? I didn't think so. I thought like, like, I thought this was more of a brotherhood building scene than it was like a parental Problem. It can be both. It can be both. But the point, be both. the point I'm trying to make is that the movie's safe. <laughs> it's, it's a very, very yeah, it, it, it doesn't do much to sort of push those boundaries or even explore the very brutal side of the father. I was expecting the father to physically abuse the kids in the movie, but See, yeah, funnily enough, I, would, I wouldn't have liked that. Like, I want him to be more of a villain, but I want him to be more manipulative. I think, well, like, you, you, you can do both, you know, you know, so, so, like, action or physical violence from, from a parent to a kid in and of itself is boring, right? That's not good storytelling. Yeah. But if, the, if, if we've earned, if the character has earned that spot, then that can create more of, of character building and development. Absolutely. Mm. But, and so I was kind of explaining that because, like, a guy like Holt, He's a big dude. He's he's he's, yeah, got a, yeah. he's got big presence, and they don't really utilize that much at all. I feel like I felt that like he actually has a fair amount of screen time, but he feels a bit like a ghost because he does so little. Yeah, like so little. when he actually tells uh, Kerry to become a wrestler, mm. like it was showing a little bit of his selfishness. Like you know what, your dream's gone. I want you to be a wrestler, and then he's like, "Yes, sir, I would love to." Right. Um, but I just think they should have gone a lot more i wouldn't say campy but just over the top with it mm. like make the father really push it hard and make it sort of feel like kerry even though he wants to do it um he didn't have a choice yeah. like i would have loved that more just have, a story could have done a lot more for the characters as, as well you know um <clears throat> oh one thing i did like also, also i just want to touch is that, that that fight with harley race like you get a sense of the brutality of, of professional wrestling and the fact that like even though it's fake, you know, they're getting hurt and they have to pretend it's like, they have to keep going even if it yeah, hurts. Sure. I kind of like that. Yeah. But then you, there's this one thing that I didn't like about the film, which is they spend a lot of time on the fact that Kevin gets leapfrogged by David because David's better at talking. Mm. 
And I, I think they spent a lot of time on that, and they didn't need to because it's actually not that important a plot in the film. Yeah, it doesn't lead anywhere. No, like he, he's mad at him for like maybe a week, which in reality is like three minutes of film time, and then they just sort of like clear it up straight yeah, away. Yeah, he has that up. moment where he gets mad at him, but it's very quick, and it's in the changing room, isn't it? Yeah, he just he doesn't <clears> even get mad at him. He just says, "I was mad at you, but you know I love you, brother." Yeah, <laughs> it. like. Like I, like I they said, it's, it's a very safe film. <laughs> yeah, because like they spend like he's, they show him being bad at talking. They show David being good at talking. They show him being good at talking quite a lot. Like there's this montage. Oh, we haven't gone through it yet, so let's just talk about that. Yep. Let's do it first in the recap. All right. Um, due to the oh yeah, so we yeah, by the early eighties. Uh, by the early eighties, the three brothers have made their names for themselves, defeating the fabulous Freebeds Free Birds in a six-man tag team competition. Later on. Kevin and Pam get married. During the reception, Kevin finds David vomiting into a toilet with a hint of blood showing. While David claims he is fine, Kevin tells him first that Pam is pregnant, which will make David an uncle, something he is excited for. Some Sometime after, David goes touring in Japan, but Kevin comes home one day to find Fritz alone, who tells him that David died from a ruptured intestine. The family mourns David at his funeral. It literally happens about as abrupt as that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I would have been happy to read that and I'll see it on screen. <laughs> nah, like, no, I wish there was more. I wish there was more. It was more, but, but it was an off-screen death. And it was a death that was preempted in, in, sort of a, in that dialogue sequence inside the, the toilet. Because you kind of, even though for, for me, I don't know anything about this story, I almost expected it to happen because they'd been talking about this curse almost three or four times already up until this point. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay, are you just telling us that the, that he's going to die? Maybe <laughs> that's exactly what the director thought. Like, he's like, we've got to bring up the curse early so that we can get people to think about what's going to happen there. All right, well, I guess if that's the case, it worked on me. Um, yeah. But then he died, and I was kind of thinking, well, that's a bit weird. Uh didn't know much about the character i mean he he seemed like a cool dude he seemed like a cool brother but uh yeah. he's dead so all right do we just move on <laughs> that's literally what yeah. we did we died the father does right yeah. and that's one of the things i guess like there's these like little nuggets of themes that shows the father being like this heartless bastard they don't go deep enough with it but when he's just like all right david's gone but you know we can still bring the title to this family like he just like moved on straight away yeah which you know i i think i'm okay with because he 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 is a guy that's depicted as someone that's driven to accomplish his goals oh no totally like from the character point of view i loved that yeah. because again that gave me hints into him being the villain i just wish they went further with it yeah but then it also just assassinates the i mean no pun intended it's not really a pun but you know what i mean um it, it just assassinates the character building for his son and also for him mm. too so it's well for him why, why is that well, like i mean sorry no, like no, no, not for him I, I guess more just for the son because we don't know much about the son and maybe we could have learned a little bit more by virtue of the father but mm. we don't get that <laughs> it's just yeah the only exposure dead. we have to the son is that um he's good at speaking and he was going to become a star and he was still quite nice to Kevin. Like, that's kind of all we get out of him. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you're having this story that's pretty much about, you know, three or four people dying. Why not make each of them as powerful as possible? Yeah. Yeah, true. 
Uh, David was supposed to fight Ric Flair, played by Aaron Dean Eisenberg, for the World Championships title. Fritz does a coin toss to decide between Kevin and Kerry to take David's place, and the coin lands on Kerry. He takes on Flair and defeats him, winning the title, but it is clear he is facing an internal struggle. Is it? <laughs> it's not. That's the thing that gets me to- Wait, what does the recap say that for? Like, <laughs> I don't even see that. He's just- yeah, he, he just sort of sits there and he's like, are you happy? He's like, yeah, I'm so happy. Man, I, I, like, what does he say? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm on such a high, I don't know how to like get over it. I need to go for a ride. Like, there is no yeah, indication right, he goes on his motorcycle at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he takes on Flair and defeats him when he tells you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Kiri later goes out on a motorcycle ride and, and collides with a truck, which we don't see. It's it's obviously heavily implied. I, I, have, a, I have an issue with that. When, when he jumps on the motorcycle and... Yes, it looks clear that he's he's trying to commit some kind of strange suicide, but doesn't really want to die because he's not quite ready yet. But he still wants to hurt himself. Wait, sorry, <clears throat> what's a suicide? Well, no, 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 maybe not a suicide, but it looks like the, the that particular scene where he's on the motorcycle and then we see the headlights. It looks deliberate and heavily implied that he's going to get into a car accident, whether it's in yeah, yeah, or yeah, 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 sure or not but it's just such a bizarre scene to do though but yeah the I, I lead up like, to this like, is nothing and it's <laughs> yeah like is he like he i think he's kind of under the influence i don't know how badly i don't know if he wants to go in front but of the truck that's or not it's clear accident. it's like we don't see yeah nothing's clear something something that would have done made that scene so much better and super efficient all you need to do is spend 20 seconds of him doing a bunch of lines getting drunk you know super quick yeah. snappy editing um and then get to the point where he's just like loose driving and then you show that you show the crash maybe don't show the details of the crash but just show the crash you have to, yeah you have to say blood you just have to say crash and like show the crash. yeah you, you can even like show it off to the side yeah because he tried to do like a Shyamalan thing on this, right? Like he wakes up and he has no foot. So yeah, yeah, you exactly. Don't know what happened? Yeah, but like, but even then, I had I, I had a big issue with that. I was like, wait, he lost a foot from the accident? <laughs> I guess like, seven. You don't even realize an accident occurs. There's no crush noise. Yeah, he just wakes up. He just wakes with up crutches. and he's got a seven. I, I wouldn't think that that came from a crash and if it does maybe show us how his foot got severed you know yeah. a, a more a more believable thing would have just been him with like bruises everywhere and you know maybe a broken arm or a broken leg but that was like a clean cut severe so they they amputated the foot oh yeah so he, Wait, he kicked the that? foot and they amputated no i only know that oh, I, know I, know I just exactly. lost it through the crash <laughs> Well, he more or less does, right? Like, but, yeah, I, yeah, I guess so. But that's not what I was thinking. But, I was like, because that's the first thing, not the first thing that they focus on. We do see the bruise on his shoulder and he gets on crutches, but they 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 make a point of him not having a foot. And I'm like, yeah. wait, this isn't that's the thing. Like, they treat it like it's a twist and it shouldn't have been a twist. No, because like, I like, thought they were going to explain that later, that, oh, uh, this is how he lost the foot, and maybe it was to do with drugs and blah blah blah, and I don't know. But it was—it's yeah. just so bizarre that that was. Right, yeah, like you don't know it's a crash. I knew it was a crash because, like, I knew that he lost his foot in the crash. Right. But 
as a person coming in blind, like you would have been like, oh, what happened? Oh, he must have crashed. Oh, okay. Blah, blah. Like, you know, there's so many things that you're having to join together, which is pretty terrible. Yeah, it's very bizarre. I was like, what, what is this? <laughs> um, Fritz makes Kevin start training a reluctant Mike to follow the, the footsteps during his match. Mike suffers a serious shoulder injury and an ensuing toxic shock syndrome causes him to fall into a coma i've never heard of that before as well by the way mm. um when mike is 1970 okay <laughs> it's toxic syndrome there you go <laughs> when mike eventually wakes up he has signs of brain damage uh kevin is convinced that the family curse is real and he goes to have his newborn son's name legally changed to adkinson was this clear for you in the film it wasn't very clear for me no uh, the fact that he said I wanted it to be Atkinson was clear to me, yeah, but, but I thought he was just born. Yeah, I, it wasn't I didn't know his the name. reason was because he wanted to move away from the curse. Yeah, see, that part was a little bit clear to me because she's like, are you sure? And he's like, yes, I'm sure. But yeah. I thought the baby was just born and it was just like a routine, like, what's his name question. Yeah. Not like, he's already a Von Eric and I'm changing it. Yeah, I never got... That. Also weird because when Mike dies, they say Mike Adkisson. Like <laughs> he's already got the new name <laughs> or the old name, you know, the original name, whatever it is. Oh my god, that's interesting. That is weird. Um, Fritz tells Mike to get himself back into the ring despite his injury. Mike is later seen writing a note and taking pills with a beer. His body is later found by his family. Okay. So this thing was really troublesome for me because one. Fritz doesn't make Kevin start training a reluctant Mike. Mm. You just see Kevin training Mike. Yep. Right? Yep. And I thought there was so much potential here because David, at, at, not David, Michael says to his mother, like, I will never be David. Um, and, and like, oh, I'm scared that I'm not going to be able to replace David. And I wish they made a bigger deal about the fact that he was reluctant because in the film they don't really mm. show that he's reluctant he just kind of stuff starts doing it. it it felt it felt bizarre yeah it's out of nowhere um and i also think the guy that plays mike doesn't do a very good job uh, he, he was a he was a good actor in the movie but he didn't do a very good job at being a half brain damage guy <laughs> i thought he was all right i didn't I, believe I, it i, I was like that. i bought that i was like are you supposed to have brain damage or something like what's going on here I didn't quite believe that. To me, I, I bought that. Like I felt like the Mike storyline was probably one of my favorite ones. Just I mean, I think it's the best point of view. Yeah, I think it's the best developed um, character storyline and and how like, the, the steps that he takes towards his eventual um, suicide. Um, but so, when you're saying that like he's in the having the press conference, he's not doing a good job of appearing brain damaged. I felt like he did a great job. He got the face right. right. I, I think the press conference was fine. I think it's the first time that we see him in the is it in the on the kitchen table. Maybe I think it's the first time we. Yeah, that's after the press conference. Oh, it's after. What's the first he time we see him with brain damage? Press conference is the first time you see him since the coma, and it's the first time you get a sense that he's brain damaged. Okay. And then, like, you're well, right. that one in where the, I didn't believe it that much. I was like, ah. Uh... In the dining table, he's like better. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, like, I, I wouldn't have too much of a problem with it. I was just kind of... It, it was the first thing that jumped on my mind. I was like, is he supposed to have brain damage? <laughs> really? Okay, no, I didn't get that I, at all. Like, yeah. Straight away, I, I was like, oh man, this guy looks like he's 
brain damage. Oh, okay. Because you know he's a so fairly quiet character anyway. He's a fairly quiet and um. I feel like his face showed it well though. Like he's kind of like looking into. He's got that sort of like got like, a, like a lazy side of the face type thing. Yeah, like a lazy. I think I saw that a little face. bit. Yeah. Um. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> but one thing I wish is that like one they don't show them fighting the body. I wish they did. Um, two, well, I wish they showed him get frustrated about the fact that he couldn't play guitar anymore. They, like, they show us that they found the body, you know, from a wide shot, and that was about it. Yeah, like I don't know if he got if he hung himself or like. Well, you know, they, they find his body in the field. field. Remember, yeah. like they're walking in the field and they find his body there. But yeah, like we, we yeah. don't know if he hung himself or anything. Which I don't think he did, by the way. But like. I think he just he um, just overdosed, you know, from all those pills. Yeah, he just like that that was quite clear. Like you know, we, we saw that scene just before that scene where they find him. He's he's overdosing and he's drinking beer to overdose. Um, <clears throat> but again, it's like the, these these deaths. We we don't we don't know what kind of mental trauma that they're really going through. It's that inner conflict that I was saying before is that we don't explore it enough to think that oh this guy's going to commit suicide. <laughs> Yeah, like, it, uh, I feel like he's the best because at least you get a sense of he used to be able to do something, you see him failing to play guitar, yeah. and then you see him kill himself. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And he's trying, trying to make like, a life for himself, you know, which is... Yeah. And he's trying to please his father at the same time. So we see we see a glimpse of that, but that's the best that we get out of all the characters. It is. Like, yeah. It, it's the best that we get, and it's still probably not perfect. No. Um, cool. After Mike's death, Kevin starts to become distant from Pan and their son. He has put um, he has put in a match against Flair for the championship title and nearly suffers a loss at Flair's hands. But Kevin overpowers him. However, he gets disqualified. When he does the iron claw on Flair's face for too long, even after the ref in- ended the countdown. Kerry continues trying to wrestle. Um, and this is something that happens off screen, right? Like Kerry goes on and becomes this like big wrestler. Well, they still have the training sequence, which I thought was like very visually difficult to. Oh, it like, was hard to watch because watch. of that whole amputated leg. I was like, oh. yeah, but his leg just. Oh, and, and I remember seeing the, the. It looked like the leg sort of bent a little bit. There might have been some visual effects. It does. It does. Yeah, yeah and and I I could relate to that because I have an ACL injury. So. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a few, right? Yeah. Seeing <laughs> seeing the bones kind of do that, I was like, ah, I understand. I totally know what that that feels like. Um, but uh, yeah, that's sort of him going to the WWF, right? He goes to the WWF. Yeah, and then he goes off and becomes like a star there. Yeah. So, but all of that stuff happens off off screen, and you you don't really. Yeah. I thought that was jarring too. They they show it to you by just showing the fact that he's on TV. He's on TV, and and the family's watching. Because after the, the the time skip, where the kid, where a second kid magically appears, pretty much, yeah. That and these are all these massive time jumps that are super jarring, yeah. and I'm like disorientated in where we are. Um, Kerry tries to wrestle. Uh, tries, Kerry, sorry, Kerry continues to wrestle with Kevin, attempting to help him. Fritz wants to wants Kevin to take over the World Class Championship Wrestling Association. I don't even know if that's what it was called. <laughs> that is, yeah, no, right. Even though he has another son that he is raising with Pan. This is the magical son that's uh, appearing off screen. Um, during Christmas, Carrie joins the family and gifts Fritz a new gun. But he starts to get belligerent when Fritz opts to put the gun away instead of firing it. Kevin tries to calm his brother down. Okay, and, and this is when it... it, it it gets more bizarre. It's like these erratic, but this erratic behavior from Kerry to his father. We'd never seen any of this before. See, I liked that because, like, it's the only context you get at his mental state. Yes, 
Like that's good for that point. I agree with that. But yeah. it's so abrupt. It's like we, exactly. he doesn't have this relationship with his father at all. <laughs> so that's the thing. Like it feels like he's gone away, become a star, come back, and he's like just again. You don't. I feel like they they you know when we always say like you know show don't tell yeah. they're not even showing they're even like show. they don't even tell they don't us. tell <laughs> they don't show just they happens. just sort of do you just have to fill and... up the blanks and uh, I was a bit frustrated by that I was like wait wait why does he have this erratic behavior and of course it's not that hard to figure out it's like okay he's probably on drugs or something and he's and he's he was doing drugs at the party yeah, the start of the was, film. yeah. It's kind of like but but that's that's the easy thing to figure out that. but we we shouldn't have to do that when the film can show us some very smart smart scenes where he's going through a really really rough road and we're only yeah. really told that he's going through a rough road when he has that phone call with kevin you know exactly yeah yeah and like, it's funny actually I can think of another film that would explain it too much and we'll be sitting here complaining that it's like too much. Oh, they're telling us too much. <laughs> yeah. um, for the Kerry thing was actually done somewhat well. Like you see him with this woman, he's like, got this awful personality and then he's calling and he's like, what about Tonya? It's like, Tonya? Uh, I don't even know who, like he doesn't know who Tonya is, right? right yeah. Um, again, uh, I think they do a reasonable good job after the time skip with Kerry, but I think a lot of the beforehand I would have liked to have seen. Yeah, I agree. Sometime later, Kerry calls Kevin, talking to him about the family curse and his contemplating suicide. Kevin tries to locate Kerry and calls Fritz for help, but he is dismissive over his son's fears. Oh, actually, wait, I want to cut something. I find it weird that this um, recap seems to paint the wrestling as if it's real. Like, in the recap, it was like, he nearly lost against Flair, but then he overpowered him. (laughs) It's kind of like, no, no, it's it's still fake. Yeah. Isn't it kind of funny how, like, he goes out of his way to, like, attack Flair because he's just so angry about... And this is the kind of thing. Like, he gets so angry at wrestling as a concept, I think, that he's taking that anger out on Ric Flair. Mm. And then he, like, breaks the rules and he gets disqualified. And the ref's like, what are you doing? Like, this is a show you're forcing me to disqualify you because it's going to be like too hard to explain to yeah. the fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Rick Ray comes in the back and he's like, man, you know, I'll give you a rematch. That was great. You know, the people loved it. Yeah. They thought like you were crazy. And, and that was, that um, was Richard Ray's of saying, oh yeah, this whole thing's fake. It's kind of staged, you know, so they, they're kind of able to it. It's funny because like, he lost it and was really angry. I, like The way I took it was that he's very angry at wrestling. Mm. But then Rick Flair's like, this is what you needed to show in order to make it. And he's like, I'm not really that kind of guy. That's kind of how I took it. Right. And then one last thing I want to talk about is there's a scene, I think, after Mikey's death where he just runs the ropes. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Like the way yeah, he's behind yeah, yeah. his back. That's sort of the opening I, um, scene of the trailer. Yeah. I really liked that scene mm. for some reason. It just showed a lot of emotional depth for me. Mm. I think it's just because you're a wrestling fan. so. <laughs> <laughs> It's just kind of like a. It's a very like you just you just like there's an ASMR element to it. Like you're hearing like the, yeah. the running, the hitting, yeah. and you sort of feel his anger towards yeah. uh, this industry. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm putting like words in his mouth. Yeah. But I'm feeling like yeah. at, like he slowly falls out of love of wrestling, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And like that Ric Flair match is kind of his farewell to it in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I I do like that sort of run back and forth in the in the in the ring. It's a, it's a nice. So it's a nice shot. It's a really, really nice shot. Um, it's a cool shot, yeah. And, and and it's probably trying to convey this idea that this is his 
this is the way he copes with things in his mind, perhaps, you know, like when he's going through mm. a tough time. Like wrestling's all he knows, yeah, right? Yeah, that's all, wrestling's all he knows, so he's trying to process it by thinking about him in a ring. So, he's just throwing himself on the ground, like he could be punching himself. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, who knows? So yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. Um, anyway, sorry. Sometime later, Kevin, uh, Kiri calls Kevin, talking to him about, yeah, we've gone to, Kevin goes to the family's old house, and the next morning, where he hears a gunshot, he runs over to the tree finds that Kerry has shot himself in the chest. As, oops, there was a phone <laughs> call like, coming through. <laughs> oh, you know. Um, Kevin goes, oh, where am I? As he frantically tries to help his brother, Fritz arrives and Kevin attacks him in a rage, blaming him for what happened to his brothers. Kevin carries, Ke- Kevin carries Kerry's body into the living room. Um, Struggling with the cave. Yeah. So this is the scene that we spoke about before, like during your, um, during your impression and the review. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's bizarre that he would behave and react like that to his father. And then his father doesn't even try and put up a fight, you know? Um, See, I was okay with that. Like, I felt like the father actually felt some guilt perhaps and i thought that would have been a powerful moment in the film had the father been portrayed differently throughout the film yeah 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 Yeah. and i I think it goes back to that thing that we're trying to say about the father being the antagonist or we're we're trying to rewrite the character essentially is that he should be a lot more brutal than this and you know he's a very loud character he's (laughs) he says a lot of loud and somewhat demeaning things but it's it seems too safe to be true I, th- I definitely think, like, like f- I would like to say more, but from what we do see, like, we show that, we see that this man is focused only on one thing. He doesn't care about the health and the lives and the love of the brothers. He only cares about their ability to achieve his goals. Yeah. And so, I definitely think that, like, he shows enough to get us kind of 80% of the way there. I would have loved to have gotten 100% of the way there. Right. And when I say there, I mean the father being seen as the villain. Like, this is sort of that moment where Kevin kind of breaks away from trying to impress his father, trying to do what the father wants, right? Right. Like, up until now, that's what everyone's been trying to do, and that's what's led everyone down this path. Yeah. Um, and again, it would have just been more powerful had the father been more of a prick before yeah, that. Yeah, 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 <laughs> because it would have been more, and then that could have been a much more um, hustle and bustle scene between two characters, lots, lots of friction, and and mm. and there's no real built up friction between the two characters either. So it seems a little out of place for Kevin's character, and I, and I know we we got a little bit just before, but that was all crammed just before the scene. <laughs> you know yeah. that that tight friction between him and his father, but up until the, that point, he'd had so much respect and, and time for his father. Like, you're getting these nuggets where, like, he calls his father and like, I'm worried about Kerry, you know, keep an eye out for him. And it's like, sort this out between yourselves. And, like, he just, like, hangs up. Like, he doesn't care. Yeah. Right? Um, and, like, these were the moments that made me... Like, even though I'm saying I, I've asked for more, that was kind of enough to make me go towards this direction, which I'm happy for. Mm, okay. Kerry is shown arriving in the afterlife on a boat where he finds Mike with his guitar... And David with his championship belts. The three also meet Jack Jr. for the first time and acknowledge him as their big brother. Okay. <laughs> the scene was completely uncalled for. 
Really? I enjoyed this scene. Well, okay. I imagined it was Kevin imagining this rather than the actual afterlife. Sure, sure, sure. I, 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 can, I'm, I can accept that and I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm okay with the scene itself. The scene is, it's everything that we'd seen in the whole movie. It's light, it's endearing, it's charming, it's, uh, it's heartwarming for these characters and it makes sense for the characters to, to, to behave that way. But the movie would have been fine without it as well. And it's just completely cheesy that they'll go into this afterlife thing. It's super cheesy. It's super cheesy. And I'm like, I don't need that. I didn't need that. It doesn't do anything more for the characters. It doesn't give me any new information about their relationship. It doesn't tell me anything new. It just It's one of those kind of cheesy scenes that he just took artistic liberty and I, I felt like this was like a little bit of catharsis for the viewer to sort of show like these people who he didn't do enough for but like you know we've grown to like and then saw their depressing demise like you sort mm. of see like them being happy now that they're away from the mortal coil yeah i don't I, know I, I kind of i don't know i think you're being too protective for the <laughs> for the character <laughs> because like these the the biggest criticism that both me and you share for these characters is that we don't know enough about them to eventually feel for their for their deaths. Yeah, I felt like this was like a last shot at trying to make you like. Hey, remember you know, these oh. guys? <laughs> no, I don't remember these guys. But I feel like like he's trying to add emotional weight to it. I would have preferred he did it a different way. I'll yeah. I'll appreciate that. Like, look, look, this scene to do them happily in heaven. Yeah, but this scene would have made sense and it would have hit hard. If they've done all the work that we criticize them for, for the characters, right? Yes. The scene would have been awesome. But the fact that this is in the movie and with all the issues that this movie has, it's just, it was unnecessary and uncalled for. Same as unnecessary and it was just cheesy. <laughs> but it's not like the scene was a badly directed scene. It was, like I said, it's a nice scene to see the characters come together, but it's, it's, it's pretty cheesy <laughs> yeah seeing them see they're like the older brother is sort of like and eh, you don't need to see yeah <laughs> yeah not long after kevin oh sorry not long after kevin sells the wccw to jerry jarrett to focus on his family uh doris starts to take up a painting hobby while it's clear that her marriage to fritz is over is it not clear to me that was not clear what? at all <laughs> so they do get divorced in real life oh no way i didn't even oh. know that <laughs> That scene did not indicate to like I know she didn't cook anything. But is, is it are they trying to say that that scene is supposed to portray or depict that? Yeah, like she's just like uh, he's like what's for dinner? It's like I didn't make anything. I'm not hungry. And then she just keeps painting, and he just sort of sits there and looks at her. Wow, that is that didn't imply to me that their our marriage was over. And I did wish that we saw more of that. Like I wanted to see the father again be more of an antagonist and then have his life kind of crumble which it kind of does in real life which is funny that's the thing right it actually happens and that's the thing there's like the 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 father is a bit in the shadows a lot of the time we don't even see his yeah. relationship with his wife <laughs> like it's, if anything it's only ever good it's only ever good yeah and she's kind of just she's doing what the wife would do and he's doing what the dad would do and there was very little interaction between the two of them to show any kind of connection or relationship the only connection that we see is when they say let's go have sex during the wedding yeah exactly and that's another thing that i felt like again it's two hours 12 it feels like there should have been enough time but like uh, even if they did make it a much more clear that the marriage was over mm. 
they have not shown enough in the film to make that have any weight. No, no. And I didn't even know it was over. I just thought... Yeah, but even if even if this was like, you know, those divorce papers or some shit, right? Whatever, yeah, right? Yeah, show something. Like, yeah, I mean, it, it's gone it out would, of the, no, the they, visual cues. But even if they did do that, I would have said, oh, well, that just came out of nowhere. Like... Right. Or, yeah. Bizarre. Um... Yeah, Pam is expecting a third child. Uh, Kevin doesn't cry, and when his boys ask him why he what why he is, he says he misses his brothers. The boys say that they will be his brothers, which brings Kevin some comfort. He then joins his sons in the game. I actually I really like this scene with this Zach Efron. You know, we're sitting down. One thing I liked a lot about it was again how good an acting job he did. But then, like he said, "I'm sorry, boys don't cry." And then the kids are like, "No, no, we cry all the time." And he's like, "Yeah, I guess so." Like he kind of shows him breaking away yeah. from his father's teeth. Yeah. Sorry, what you want to say? Yeah. Oh, I, I was just gonna say that I think this this scene is great and it, and it does a lot to sort of uh, come full circle if there's any such full circle for his character um, to come to a place of solace where he's accepted what has happened. I mean, I'm not sure if it's clear. Maybe it's not actually not clear that he's accepted that all the tragedy has happened in the family it's kind of brushed over but i I, i'm okay to just think that that's the implication is that once we see him at this point in his life because we've done so many random time jumps and he's growing i guess from those (laughs) those instances Mm -hmm. that um it's it's showing in his performance and his uh his grief um and it's it's nice i think it's i think it's quite nice the way he sort of wraps it up but but i think a lot of the heavy lifting is coming from his acting skills here <laughs> yeah for sure like him crying yeah it's not just a normal cry it's, it's, a, good it's cry. a good cry it's a very good cry there's not a lot of people that can pull off very good cries and very convincing cries for a character yeah. um and then it just like does this very very long shot where it slowly tracks away um and you see the wife get involved with the football game and blah blah and that's the end <laughs> i didn't even understand the song choice either i remember listening to the lyrics i was like why did he choose this song <laughs> i can't remember but i was listening to the lyrics and it didn't i don't know it didn't make any sense to me i don't know why he chose that song to be the last song to for the um closing shot of the film yeah. So the film finishes, and the ending text states that the Von Erich family. I knew this was going to happen because this happens with biopics all the time, right? There's always some text that's going to wrap yeah, it yeah. up. You and, have to. You have to. Like, yeah, yeah. Which is which is which is the the case. And it's funny because I learned more in this text than I did in the movie. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Um, the ending text states that the Von Erich family was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2009. Hooray! That's pretty cool. Um, and they remain one of the most influential families in wrestling. Kevin and Pam own a ranch where they let their whole family, four kids and 13 grandchildren, live. Getting busy. Yeah, family people, huh? Live and accompanied by a photo of their large family right at the end. There's the real life photo that pops up at the end and then fades to black and credits. Yeah, nice. And that is the end of the plot. Oof. summary what did you think of iron look, claw so look, i'm gonna be positive here i think you're not gonna be as much so normally <laughs> when i go through these um i walk away thinking ah oh, the movie you know it's bad i think there are a lot of things that 
the movie could have done better. Like we've talked about all the things that they could have done to add more emotional weight to things. Even without those things, I felt there was significant emotional weight. Like just seeing all these like calamitous things happening to his family. Like you spend the first half like seeing the brotherhood, seeing how much they love each other, seeing how much they care about each other. You got Zac Efron saying, I want to just get a ranch and live with my brothers. And it does a good job of like building this weight around these people. And then you see them just die in unfortunate ways. And each of them gets progressively more depressing. Like the first one is like just a random death. Second one is like, he goes into a coma because he's forced to wrestle and then he gets brain dead and then he can't play guitar and it's sad. And the other one, like, you know, you have that last phone call scene, which I thought was pretty harrowing. So even though it could have been better, I did still feel that weight for all of the deaths. And I still felt that it was like very powerful. So overall, I still want to give this like a nine. Like I still really enjoyed it. And I still felt very sad. Um, its end and through all its scenes cool all right you're gonna give it a nine nice well i i still have very similar feelings to um that i had after the film and even after the recap um still very similar feelings um it's it has reiterated and cleared up a lot more details going through the recap you know that's the power of going through the recap because we get to identify some real details whether we did like them or if we even if we did like them at the time then there's more clarity around around that particular thing that we liked and we're probably thinking, oh yeah, that wasn't so good after talking about it. So that was always the benefit mm. of doing the recap. But um, uh, I, w- I think I'm going to give this movie a 7 out of 10. I thought you were going to end on a 7. Oh, That's why I went okay. for a okay. Get a solid 8. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it just makes the 7. So it's, it's kind of like a soft 7 out of 10. Because... Oh, you think it's worse than a 7? Hmm? You think it's like you know, like barely reaching? I seven? think it just reaches reaches the seven. Yeah, wow. yeah. yeah I disagree with that, but yeah, yeah. And and I think it's just because it it is a it's, it is a little frustrating seeing the characters that are so likable, right? Like they're very yeah. very likable characters. Um, and I just wanted to learn more about their conflicts. You know, I wanted to learn more about their journey and their depression because. Because that's what the film is essentially about, but we don't see it at all. So I will admit that as someone who doesn't have any background in like the story, how wrestling works back then, I could see this being very jarring. It yeah. jumps around a lot. It is not that easy to follow. Like I was like watching Kerry on his motorbike, and I'm like, oh shit, it's the crash scene. Like I knew it because <laughs> yeah. I, I know what happened. Mm. And so like, I was actually doing the hand face thing during that right. scene. Evidently, nothing happens. Yeah. But having that background knowledge really did help me enjoy this more. I can, I can see that people like you with the background knowledge can feel super attached to this and very emotional. So there's that there's that immediate um, compulsory, not compulsory, complementary bias that you have. Mm-hmm. So if, 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 if someone, there's fans out there that are massive fans of these families, I'm pretty sure they're going to be wrecks watching this film, right? Yeah. But... If you make a good biopic, if you make a good film, like how we always say on this podcast, it should hit and connect with everybody, regardless of whether you know the background story. I'll admit, if you don't know the f- the story, it's probably closer to a seven, purely just because of the fact that um, it jumps around so much. Yeah. Like, Bohemian Rhapsody doesn't jump around as much. I like this more than that as a biopic. Mm. 
I that's yeah. a much more st- like standard storyline. I agree. I, like- I would probably say I actually enjoy this more simply because I, um, I I think cre- like technically this movie's better than Bohemian Rhapsody. I think the editing was wow. You know, <laughs> I, I I mean I like Bohemian. Don't get me wrong. I like Bohemian Rhapsody. I think it's a good. Yeah, I don't hate it. I don't hate yeah, it. I don't hate it. It's a, I think it's a good biopic. I think it does a good enough job to depict Queen. Um and Freddie Mercury or whatever. But um, there are some jarring things that happen in that movie. Like the montage sequences, they, they weren't really earned. It was just a way of them saying, oh, they go on tour and they go here. and like, they... <laughs> Because the next time I want to talk about them, they need to be famous. So yeah. It was, I was like, Here's well, them getting famous. And, and there, there were some very strange editing and, and cuts yeah. that happened in this movie. Some really, really strange editing cuts. The reason why I give this such a high score is that the base story is just a very emotionally powerful story. Mm. So, like, in my heart, it would have been very difficult to do this that poorly. Like, how are you going to, how many other true stories are there where, like, three or four brothers die? You know, it's actually kind of crazy. Like, fun fact time there is another brother that killed himself in this family, Chris Von Eric that they didn't talk about because the director said, you know what? I didn't really want to go, like, I didn't want it to become repetitive. <laughs> that's pretty ironic. <laughs> so that's where the, I, and I applaud that decision, right? Because we're sitting here thinking each death means less because they don't go into it more. Imagine there was a whole other death. Oh, man, so that would have uh, made this movie go down to a five. <laughs> So it's interesting, right? Because that one, Chris Von Eric, was like this guy who was like five foot, I think five foot five. And he was like, he had like brittle bones. So he was trying to be a wrestler, but he constantly was hurting himself. And he just realized that he would never make it. But that's the only thing his father wanted for him. And so he knew he could never live up to his father. And so he just shot himself in the head. What? Powerful story, I think that one, right? And if they did it justice, it would have been really cool. But they, I mean, I'm glad they didn't because they probably would just put him in here and say, "Oh yeah, they shot himself." <laughs> and then yeah, they would just have a gunshot in the background yeah. and like a, a a shadow flopping onto the yeah, ground. Much. Yeah, and then like the mother freaking out. Actually, no, the mother freaking out about about the black dress. I thought was a cool touch. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some, there's definitely some cool moments in this movie. Definitely good character yeah. moments. But um, yeah, seven out of ten, nine out of ten for you. So that makes it an average of eight out of ten. Give it the average. The average. Um, man. Okay, we've gone on very, very long. We went on way past than what we thought. But I thought this was very productive. I thought this was a very productive recap, and I think we gave it a very fair analysis. Do you think? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I was very negative in in the recap, which I always tend to be, but like I didn't want it to affect my overall view towards the film. Yeah. Like talking about how it could be better doesn't take away from what it sure, is. Sure, sure, sure. All right, man. Well, um, that being said, we should bring this to an end. Uh, when yeah. are we going to see you next on the podcast? Not sure. Not sure. I mean, you did you did mention what there was a fan request of Forrest Gump. Oh yeah, I didn't want to bring that one up again though. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do it. I want to do it. Tua, let me let me Tua, let me do it. I'll run it, and then I'll make it real fast. I want to try and get it to 30 minutes. Okay. okay. That's my goal. Well, you know how it is. You still have to watch the movie if we do that, though. What's that? You still have to watch the movie if we do that. You have to watch the movie. You're going to have to holler at me and when you want to do it, so then we can put it into the schedule. 
All right, all right, cool. Well, what are you doing next? What's the next thing? The next on thing the on the agenda is actually we we have um, the sequel to Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which is uh, War. No, not War. It is are you doing an ape? An ape legacy series? Well, no, we're just doing the apes movies and only the modern ones. Um, so Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is coming up tomorrow. Um, that's what we're recording tomorrow, and they'll be released this week as well. Just as my, just as well as Iron Claw will be released this week too. Nice, nice. Well, cool. we'll see you back on the podcast at some time. Sometime. Um, make sure you jump into the. I was going to say jump into the comic sessions, but um, check into the description so you can see all our social media handles. You can follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook. Um, we just started a YouTube channel, but it hasn't really been fully realized. So don't oh, even damn. check out the YouTube channel, but it, that is also in the show notes as well. Um, Did you do that? <laughs> you can also see our personal Instagram social media profiles in the description of this episode as well. But until then, we will talk to you soon. I was going to say see you soon, but you can't really see us. So we will talk to you soon. Yeah, you can see clips. You can see clips on our social media. Um, We will see you guys again and keep watching good movies or bad movies. Doesn't matter. Just watch watch whatever. Yeah, bad movies are great. Bad movies can be good so you can learn. (laughs) All right, everyone. Peace out.